I would say every client that I've ever prospect or client prospect that's become a client, they will say, we have a business plan. And I'll say, okay, show it to me. And what I get sent is an Excel spreadsheet. And that's not a business plan. That's an Excel spreadsheet. Hello, and welcome to The Melting Pot. I'm your host, Dominic Monkhouse. The Melting Pot is a result of my hunger and curiosity for optimizing business performance, exploring corporate culture, customer addiction, and building high-performing teams. It's full of advice from my guests, entrepreneurs, fellow business authors, and examples from some of my work over the last few years, coaching the CEOs and leadership teams of some amazingly successful tech firms. The Melting Pot is my attempt to synthesize what I've learned along the way, to help you build a highly scalable business and realize the potential of your life's work. If you enjoy the episode, head over to monkhouseandcompany.com forward slash podcast to find today's show notes and more editions of The Melting Pot. While you're there, if you subscribe to the newsletter, you can pick up a copy of my new book, Plan B, How to Scale Your Technology Business Faster and Achieve Plan A. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of The Melting Pot with Dominic Monkhouse. Except this week, here at The Mountain Pot, we're a little different. We're bringing you Dom's conversation on the Sparks by Idineum podcast with the brilliant Phil Rose. Phil will be a familiar voice to anybody who knows us from Mundhouse and Company. Dom and Phil have worked together for many years, and their conversation today is full of advice that you can take away to start using in your business today. A particular talking point has been how sevens can kill your business and what to do about them. We would love to hear what you think, and we really hope you enjoy that conversation today. Today, I'm with my friend, fellow coach, and all-round scaling-up expert, Dom Monkhouse. Dom describes himself as a business coach, an author, and a podcast host. And the key for Dom is actually he works for CEOs to take the mystery out of business growth. So welcome, Dom, to Sparked by Ignium. Thanks for having me, Phil. Great to be here. Tell me more about this, taking the mystery out of business growth. So I think this is a, an intriguing tagline for what you do. I found myself running two companies that we got in the UK. We got them to 30 million in five years. You know, I, there were some tools that were introduced to me along the way, some challenges that we had. And so I suppose the reason I did it more than once is I wanted to prove to myself that I hadn't just got really lucky. And the first time was a fluke. And so in between times, I did a, did a turnaround as well, a business that a business that was really on its uppers when, when I took over. And we had three months to save the company. Two years later, it was in rude good health. And Sebastian went on to sell it for 60 odd million pounds. And I love to share the knowledge that I've accumulated, which is why I wrote the book, why I have a podcast, why I write a weekly blog, why I'm a coach. Some people pay me to help them coaching. But there's lots of other people who, you know, one of the podcast listeners uh, every week, he sends me a selfie of like where he was when he listened to the podcast. And so I've had it he's out on his motorbike, in his car, on a train, cutting the grass, wherever. And he sent me a note like, at, at Christmas and he said, right, he said, I've grown my company 20% in the last 12 months. Absolutely. I haven't paid you a penny, but based on what you've taught me listening to your podcast, and then I've gone and got in, I think Octopus Ventures invested in him and he's now doing a super fast fiber rollout in Portsmouth. And then somebody else was on the website the other day and I was emailing him over the weekend 
and they make amazing garden furniture. And he said, look, I'm not ready to scale yet, but your podcast and your blog are really, really informative and really, really helpful. So I do those things because I can reach more people. You know, there's a limit to how many people you can reach if you're coaching one-to-one. But I just, you know, I, I just think the resources that I'm hopefully sharing with people weren't there when I did it. And so, you know, we, we had to do a load of, I don't know, like reinventing the wheel. And it's like, why would you, you don't need to do that. The wheel exists, right? Here is a system. It looks like this. Does the world need another diet book, right? Does the world need another gym, right? It's like, so some of this is then about mindset, right? Because the tools exist. So then it's about mindset. Then it's about, um, you know, how do you help people overcome the challenges that would make them fail? How do you get them to decide to go on the journey and finish the journey, right? So, you know, that's, that, that's where my motivation is. I look, I only came, I only ended up in coaching because I left Pier One and my daughter was born two weeks later. And I thought, you know what? I've been working my nuts off for the last 20 years. Maybe what I should do is take a bit of a break. I'll do coaching because I'll learn some skills that would make me better if I go and get a proper job again. Because probably, probably my staff would always, or my team would always say, Don wasn't a great coach. And then I realized that I just love it. And it's the best job I've ever had. So, so, so the key that I'm hearing there is actually, you, you've got that experience. And, and I love you said there, if you're back and ask some of your team, they would say you weren't a great coach, but you found this passion now where you can bring your service, your skill to the world. So what have you done that's helped you jump into this coaching role? Because often you've gone from running the business as MD, talk about peer one, and now you're into this place of actually coaching other people to do it. So what's the, what's the thing you've done to help that work? I started off thinking I was a consultant, not a coach, because I thought coach sounded a bit soft. Doing the work is not where my skills are. Uh, last year, Lencioni launched a new tool called Working Genius. Wonder, ideas, discernment, galvanize, enable, and tenacity. And I think consultants need to be able to do enable and tenacity, like get start the work, get the work done and deliver it, get it over the line. That's not me. So I'm a rubbish consultant. It's probably why I was a rubbish salesperson. <laughs> My skills are around bigger picture ideas, discerning which of those ideas are good and, and getting people excited around them, galvanizing them. And so I work as a thought partner with CEOs most of the CEOs that I work with are on the left-hand side of that model. You know, EOS, this sort of visionary integrator, most of the CEOs I work with are, they're the ideas guy. You know, like somebody has to have an idea to start a business. And, but their experience is often very narrow. Having scaled two businesses to 30 million and turned one round, you know, I've done everything from licking the stamps. I've been the telephone sales guy. I've been the SDR. My degree was in marketing, so I've run marketing. I've been the CMO. I've run customer experience, not done software development. But, you know, any small business owner has to know their way around finances. So, you know, if you look at the whole, every seat in the business, I've probably sat in it or been responsible for it at some point. And so I can really empathize with the challenge that the CEO has got. Wherever they are on the journey, they're, they're, they're somewhere that I've been. That's a really interesting point. You, you, you can emphasize the CEO, you see where they've been, but also you've got experience across the whole of the business. You've, you, you know, using that thing, you know, you've licked the stamps, you've done the SDR role, you've actually done the marketing. You've got that, that total process in, in your head of how to do things. But there's always a difference, isn't there, between doing it and coaching it. So that, that transition from consultant to coach, I think, is a big one because you know, I, always, I always joke that you know, when I was an aerospace engineer, I was paid for the answers I gave because that stopped planes falling out of sky. But actually, as a coach, I'm 
paid for the questions I ask. But you've had to do that. You've gone that transition. So, so that's, in my mind, the interesting one from, you know, the MD of the business where you're responsible for the business through consultant where, you know, using the, the Lencioni bit about enable, enablement and tenacity to get things done. And then there's this role into coaching. So you, you've, you've landed on your feet here. You've got a job now that you love. You're doing something, but actually you're getting amazing results for clients as well. So I wonder, what is it you think clients come to you for? You said about you're a thought partner of CEO, but if you were to ask your clients, why come to me? What, what's the words they use? Uh, there's a number of challenges that I think they, I suppose to use the sort of the jargon, the jobs to be done that they're hiring us to do. One is around culture. The companies that I ran won awards for being great places to work. And, you know, we had to create or, or fix cultures. So there's a piece there. So they feel as though maybe in the past the culture was better or they're growing so fast they're worried the culture will disintegrate. So they're looking for that. Or they're believers in, you know, that uh, culture each strategy for breakfast. And so they've got a strategy, but the culture somehow, there's an inertia in the business and they want they want the staff to be more accountable and they want they want some pace back in the business. They want people to behave like owners and not renters, you know, like nobody ever washes a rental car, you know, and there's a certain size in the business where I think it's about 35 where staff stop putting stuff in the dishwasher. They just leave dirty cups in the sink and they expect somebody else to do it. And so they've often tried for, in some cases, years to try and fix this and not got a solution. So culture's one. Often people ring me up and say, I've got a sales or a marketing problem. And so they're thinking about a specific challenge. Actually, my experience is that very rarely just a sales and marketing problem, that it's actually, it's probably a strategy problem. Often clients don't know who their core customer is, can't identify it, don't know what job their customers pay them to do, don't know why they win or lose against competitors. You mentioned that jobs to be done. I think that's the key one, isn't it? Come back to that as a, as a core concept because you're right people don't know what their customers are hiring them to do in the first place. So there's something there about just not understanding the market. You think you're selling something, but actually what the customer's buying is something different. And what you're saying to me there is actually you've got real clarity around that because you've been out and you've asked the clients, what is it they buy? So you understand a bit more about what are those key things they come to you for? Yeah, and and what I did is because... I didn't know that either. So I actually hired somebody to go and interview all the CEOs that I work with to find out. So the the reason I speak with clarity about these challenges is because I actually hired hired guy to go and uh, and interview everybody, and that I think that's been really powerful. I love that. So you've got some clarity around that. So 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 there's a there's a process here. You've been through the process. You've you've got experience. You've 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 been there, done it. You've got experience of doing it. People now coming to you as a, as a coach. So I'd love to switch track slightly, thinking about learning. Because one thing I know about you, Dom, you're very good at learning and you're very good at learning from two angles, I always think. One is obviously business and you've, you know, your podcast and your blog have lots of valuable information in there. But also you're very good at learning, you know, from a personal point of view, how to improve your health, how to keep yourself going there. And the reason I love that is I always say the, the, the simple phrase, fit mind, fit body, fit business, get those three in, in balance and you get clarity for the future. So you've got to get that, you know, improve your mind, improve your brain, keep your body at a level pace, understand what you're doing and keep yourself fit and healthy. And actually that will drive your business because you get the balance between the three. Tell me more about your learning process. Yeah. Having clients with problems actually gives me a purpose to the learning. So quite often 
a client will have a challenge to which I'm sure there's an answer, but I don't know what it is. One of our clients wanted to not be the wants to keep on being the CEO, but wants to spend his time doing innovation. So we had to work out well how to restructure his business. Then we had to work out well how much money should the company invest in innovation? How would we measure the return on investment for the innovation? How do we make it really clear to the whole organization that this is what we're doing and this is what success looks like? Didn't have a structure for that, so I had to go and find one. And that has been sort of an evolving process. Or another client who had done some strategy with us and realized that 95% of their revenue had no sustainable competitive advantage. And so they boxed that off and put that in a corner. It's a bit like Netflix, Reed Hastings, as he switched from DVDs to, to streaming. You know, they had to put the DVD business over in the corner and focus the management team on streaming. And so they took the entire executive team and then focused on this new thing. And so what was missing, you know, we'd done some company positioning using attribution frameworks, but, but we needed to do some product stuff around value proposition. So we did some work with them, helped them create a new value proposition. It was a tweak rather than something wholly new. And then the CEO spent some time with sales on the phone to customers. And I spoke to him two weeks ago and he said, Don, we're growing 20% a week now. A week, we grew, he said, we grew 100% in May, we'll grow 100% in June, and we'll probably grow 100% in July. And then we might hit some resource issues. But they, it was just the you know, the, the strategy piece and then down into that value proposition. And so that value proposition work was something that at the time he needed to do it, I didn't have the tool in the toolbox as a coach. So I went away, I learned that, bring it back, deliver it. I now have that skill forever. And so that quite often, you know, a client problem will often focus me on learning. But look, I I listen to probably two two books a week. I listen to loads of podcasts. That means I do that instead of watching TV, but I have I have a set of headphones on almost all of the time. So when I'm doing something like, I don't know, if I'm washing the car or cutting the grass, I'm I'm listening to a podcast or listening to a book or if I'm out running. But also the other thing I, I try to do is the 80-20 rule. So I'm always looking for that, that point of uh, leverage, which is what is the minimum effective dose to apply? You know, like what, what do, what's the 20% that I need to do that gets me 80% of the result? And that's the same with, with fitness. You know, often you and I are having conversations about getting fit or staying fit. And it's, you know, how much weight, how often? You know, so many people go in the gym and they're just wasting their time. They're doing a too high a level of intensity and they get injured. Or they're doing it at an intensity that doesn't, that's not sustainable. I mean, you know, we see that with clients, you know, you know, we want to put in a rhythm into their business, but if they try too hard, too fast, too soon, the organization can't cope with the, with the pace of change. And so sometimes CEOs are saying, but we're not going fast enough. I'm like, you're going fast enough. It's okay. You know, you've just got to build this rhythm in or start at the leadership team. Let's change something at the leadership team. Let's not roll this down to the whole organization. Let's let's practice on our own, not let's not practice in public because we're going to make mistakes and we're going to cock it up. And and so often you go into organizations and you talk to the employees and the employees say, you know, yeah, we start off all these initiatives, but we never finish them. So let's not do that. Let's let's do something different. Let's have an initiative that the leadership team owns and people might see the benefit of it or might see that something's changed, but we don't have to announce that we're changing some behaviors. We let people see that. 
And I love that as a process. So there's something there in you know, that 80, 20. And that, you know, we, we often talk in business where, you know, the minimum viable product, let's get something out and then just test it. We've seen that more and more with software developments where we, we end up with a product which doesn't fully work, but it gets it out there. And the bit I love what you're talking there is, you know, we should use this process. You talked about minimum effective dose. And I think there's a key there in terms of what's the minimum effective dose of, of learning and research a business needs to do, but also in terms of consultancy or coaching. Because actually, we don't want to overwhelm somebody with giving them too much that they can't manage so it's actually coming out with, okay what's the thing that's going to help you shift your business how what's going to move the needle quickest by putting in the minimum effort to get that maximum output and so many people come in and they they use the example of training they don't know what they're trying to do so they overtrain. they pile on the weights they ramp up their running program they increase the, the intensity of what they're doing without thinking about what's the impact on the business and actually, when we talk about scaling up a business, you know, we all know, you know, you to, to get a business up to up to speed, you've got to overcome some inertia in the business. You know, go back to engineering principles. So once we've got the engine turning, it actually becomes easier. But you've got to overcome that inertia to start with. And I love that principle there of you know, 80-20. What's the minimum effort to get you up to that speed? And what I'm hearing from you is, you know, you learn, you you go through what I always call no extra time learning. You know, you're, you've got your headphones on, you're listening as you go through, you're listening as you wash the car, as you're, you're mowing the lawn, whatever it might be. So you're always taking your knowledge. But the key bit is you're doing it in service of somebody, which you talked about, you know, clients have a problem. I'll find a way of solving that problem, which is fascinating. The other bit I know about you as well, Dom, you've, you've done a lot of work in terms of, you know, looking at your own skill set. You talk about learning, but tight, you know, take on some specific tools. So scaling up is where you and I connect a lot over at the moment in terms of scaling businesses. You've, you've talked about your Wharton school. Um, Sherlock's is a piece of language you used many years ago in terms of that, that growth businesses. If you were to say now, how do you pull that out together? What's the, what's the thing you see companies most needing at this moment in terms of your previous knowledge and how are you enabling them to use that knowledge in the best way? So the first question is, do you believe you've got a cash flow problem, right? Because if you've got a cash flow problem, like that's where we have to start. I would say you never have a cash flow problem. What you have is a profitability problem, which is showing up as a cash flow problem. Sometimes that's where you have to start. If that's not an issue, then... I think you have to start with strategy because I would say every client that I've ever prospect or client prospect that's become a client, they will say, we have a business plan and I'll say, okay, show it to me. And what I get sent is an Excel spreadsheet. And that's not a business plan. That's an Excel spreadsheet. What clients are looking for is they're looking for a sustainable business model. They're looking for a business model that takes them from where they are now, 1 million, 2 million, 10 million, 100 million, wherever they are, they've got, they've got a destination in mind. And the Excel spreadsheet shows some numbers, but it doesn't say how to get there. And often strategy is, again, people have bolted a series of tactics together. They've responded to something, right? They've changed some operational effectiveness drivers. And they are where they are, but they didn't do that with intent, and so, you know, they've got customers that when you sit down and you talk about core customers, so often people go, well, I haven't got a core customer. I've got like five core customers or I've got all of these revenue streams because they, they are where they are. Either they've grown organically or they've grown through acquisition, but mostly with not enough intent. So I go back and say, let's do some strategy. Let's agree where we're going and how we're going to get there. And then once we've got that, we can say, okay, let's look at the people Let's look at the culture. If that's the strategy, what culture do we need to enable the strategy? 
And then let's look at execution. So what are the rhythms in the business that we need to do? What are the metrics? Let's look at OKRs, objectives and key results and KPIs that are going to show us whether we're running business as usual correctly and, and what changes we need to make. And then if we didn't need to do cash at the beginning, then we're then saying, okay, well, how do we make sure that we don't fall into something called the, the growth trap, which revenue goes up, but then profits drop away and you end up growing broke. And so then we look at sort of cash conversion cycle. Like it sounds incredibly simple, doesn't it? I mean, <laughs> but that's, that's what you do. Yeah. And, and I think there's a couple of things in there in terms of, you know, we're talking scaling up about strategy, execution, people and cash. And, and, you know, backtracking what you're saying there is, you know, people come to you and they say they've got a cash flow problem. But actually what you're saying is actually it's often not that. It's actually because they haven't thought about how to manage the business. They've not created a sustainable business model in the first place. So you're going back upstream. Let's get your strategy fixed. Let's understand the culture you need to drive that strategy. And then there's work on how do we then execute it to make sure it happens? What's the rhythm we need to put in place? And I love your concept of growth trap. And I think too few businesses think about this up front in terms of, you know, we always say growth sucks cash. And people forget that you need to put money into a business to do it, but also you need the team to drive it. Because if you've got the right team, we were talking, you know, right, right people that in the right seats on the right in the right places, but actually on the right bus in the first place. And if you've got that in place, you can actually start driving a business and that come out of that flywheel, you actually get the business momentum up and it will start generating cash and driving its own. But the key is you're saying there is start with strategy. And, and you know, this is music to my ears. You know, as a when I when I finished my MBA back in 2002, the bit that really hooked me was strategy. That's the bit I love because it looks at the future and it creates that you know dreams to reality. Let's envision the future, let's understand where we're going, let's understand where we are, and then let's just do a simple thing and map out the journey between those two points. And people forget about that. They often, often people go into business without a clear view of what they want. And you mentioned Excel spreadsheets. You and I have seen many of these business plans where it's just, you know, what's our business plan for next year? Well, it's just 10% on last year or 15% on last year with no thought around what's the product mix we need to be putting in place. How are we going to find the right people? So there's something there in terms of that process you're going through. You know, as we look forward, how many years, if you, I think it's, uh, 17% is going to, if you grow 17% year over year, you're going to double in five. And if it's 23%, I think you double in three. I'm, I might have rem- misremembered those, but you know, it's something like that. So somewhere in between the next three to five years, you're going to double your business. And so, you know, we sit down with clients and we say, we sit down with the executive team and we go, okay, so where, what do we think the revenue is going to be like three to five years from now? And we get, if the CEO goes first, everyone's a few million either side of the CEO. But if the C, if we don't let the CEO go first, we get some broad spread. You know, we were with a client just over a year ago and they, they put 100 million on the board. And it's funny because the CEO had said to me, he said, look, Dom, I can't make the first day of the two-day offsite. The number I have in mind is 100 million and I'm not sure I'm going to be able to persuade the team to go with 100 million. Anyway, so he came down at four o'clock on the first day and the team had to put 100 million on the board. And so, and so that was interesting that, that he didn't need to get the team to get there. The team got there on their own without him. And then what we, what we that, that took their headcount from, I think about 230 to 750. And so then I said, well, are you planning to hire all your managers from outside or from within? And they said, oh, we'd much rather promote from within. Okay, so you're going to have 500 more people. So you're going to have, I don't know, maybe 50, 75 managers that you're going to need. Um, how long does it take to train somebody to manage? 
oh, they said, I don't know, six months, 12 months. Okay. I said, so when did you start your university management training program internally? What are you talking about? I said, well, look, you've got 75 managers there. Like either you're going to hire them in or you're going to have to train them. And you've got no internal training capability at all. So who runs the university inside your business? And they're just all looking at each other. So the thing is that if you built that business looking over your shoulder and even growing 25% year over year, you would never look into the future and see this hole that is you're going to drive the bus into. And so, you know, oh, I said, like, where are you going to put all these people? Who owns finding new office space? And they're all looking at each other going, it's not me. Like, because, you know, facilities at the minute is just like an office manager. There's these things that when you project forward, it's easy for people to see the hole and then go, okay, so when do we need to fix it? And often they needed to have already fixed it. So there's, there's a burning issue with their business that they're not even, they don't even see yet. And I think that's really interesting, isn't it? Because we, we, we often have this vision of what we're doing, but I think what you're doing there is connecting the dots. Okay, we want 100 million business in the future. Where are we today? And actually it's putting in place all of those things to enable to get there. And, and actually the key is people often don't sit down and work through that process because they're too busy doing, you know, I always come back to the first book, my, um, my, my accountant gave me back in 2004, when I set up this business, she gave me Mike Lee Gerber's The E-Myth Revisited book and said, read this first. And, and when you think about that, you know, that's a, that's a small book in that sense, but it's all about an you know, entrepreneurial myth. And the view is actually a lot of people get stuck into their business and they're too busy doing, doing, doing to come up above water and say, okay, where are we going? And it's that, that typical working on versus working in. And we want people to work on the business and create the time. And you and I have run workshops around this as well, you know, creating time for growth. Because creating that time is actually about having that plan and getting the team on board so they're willingly on the journey, but actually then considering all of the things that might need to be put in the mixing pot to make you get there. Yeah, but you see, I think what's funny is that, so you, you think, why don't people... Why don't people make the change that they know they want to make? Spoke to a CEO of a fast-growing business a few weeks ago, and he said, right, I'm, I've freed myself up from doing the delivery. I said, okay, what are you doing then? He went, I don't know. Not doing the delivery. <laughs> and he's terrified. He's, like, he, he doesn't know what to do with his time because he's he's been in the business, and so he's freed up a bit of space, and his inclination is to micromanage the people who are doing the work now so that it gets done as well as he would have done it. So he's still out of the business, really. He's in the business micromanaging it. Well, what he's done is he's just filled in his time. He's, he feels like he's elevated himself, but he's filled in his time and he's not enjoying it. And so, you know, there's, people haven't got the tools, right? They don't know what they should be doing with their time. You know, then nobody's taught them to be a CEO or an MD, right? Like that job is different. That's a strategy job. You know, strategy for me is always next year's profit, right? So are you thinking about next year? Are you thinking about two years from now? When are you doing that? How are you doing that? And if you've got no tools, it's like saying, oh, I need to, you know, I don't know, I, I need to build some shelves, Right. And it's like, okay, but if you don't have any drills or wood, if you've never done woodworking class, you'd be like, okay, like I can imagine how to do it, but you know, it's going to be a bit cack handed. And so part of the job is to try and help people to slot into and, and understand what, 
what their job of running the company looks like. And, and you know, this is the key bit, isn't it? I think uh, a, a client, of mine, client of mine just gave me a book last week, and I'm just holding up a door. I'm a book called Leadership is Language. Oh, yeah, David Marquet. I've had him on the podcast. Good guy. So interesting. And I thought that, actually, and I noticed Vernon Harnish has put a, a forward in the book. Um, so, so Chris sent me this. I've worked with, worked with Chris and his team, and Chris said, Phil, you've got to read this book. Uh, and I it literally arrived on Saturday, so I've not read it yet. But the key is, it says here, the hidden power of what you say and what you don't. And I think this key thing there, isn't it? A lot of people set up a business because they know how to do it technically. They've not thought about the leadership to help them get there. And the bit you talked about just there is, you know, the CEO and leadership skills. And, and you know, you've got a, you've got a bookcase in your office of, of information. You've, you've been doing this for 20, 30 years now. You've seen how it's done. And a lot of people need that type of knowledge because they've never thought about reaching out to somebody else to give them knowledge on how to lead and how to run and how to be a CEO. And that bit about micromanaging, a lot of people are stuck in that. They don't look up and enable someone to come in and say, this is how you can do it. So what's, what's that mindset shift? When I had David Marquet on the podcast, and so it comes back to your thing about learning. So why do I do the podcast? Mm. Uh, I do the podcast. If nobody listened to it, it would be fine. Because two things. One is, in a non-creepy way, I get to interview somebody whose book I've read that I liked right? If I'd met David in a bar, it would be weird if I then bombarded him with questions for 45 minutes. Whereas I get him on a podcast, seems completely reasonable and he's up for it. Um, and then he gets to, he gives me some book recommendations. So I get to, I get to feed my, my desire to read a couple of books a week. But one of the things that he taught me when I was speaking to him, which I've then implemented in, in our own business here with the team, is that when he took over this nuclear submarine, uh, it was the worst nuclear submarine in, in the fleet. And he said he'd spent a year learning that he was going to be the, the commander of some sort of hunter-killer sub. And a week before he was due to take over, they put him on this other submarine that he knew nothing about. And he said, Dom, just to give you an idea, he said, as the commander of a submarine, I would need to be able to do everything. I would need to be able to blindfold, go anywhere in the ship and fix anything. He said, so I get on this new ship and I don't know anything about anything. And I say, right, um, helmsman, you know, I don't know, go to five knots, go to go to uh, shift gears to number two or whatever. Anyway, the guy says, aye, aye, sir. And then nothing happens. I said, what happened? And he said, well, there's no second gear on this boat, sir. Right. And so, so he said, look, I realized I didn't know anything. I couldn't tell people what to do. And so he said, right, I came up with this piece of language, which is hence why his second book. And so what he does is he said, you just get your staff to say, I intend to. So not so you you say right. Listen, listen, everybody. You're no longer allowed to ask for permission. This is not school. I'm not your parent. You just have to tell me what you're going to do. And if I if if I hear something that doesn't sound right, I get the chance to intercede. But otherwise, you'd say you're going to do it, and then you do it. And so you know it happens all the time. Like one of the team here yesterday said, "Can I take tomorrow off?" And I just sat and said nothing. And then she said, I intend to, to work from home tomorrow. Fantastic. And it's just, it's just that, like, don't make it my problem. Right. And so I was just thinking about that client that you and I worked on a few years ago. You know, they had this parent child thing locked in, didn't they? Right. And so the CEO and the, the business owners couldn't get out of the minutiae. I was talking to David McKeown last night, written a new book called Self Evolved Leader. And he said that sort of parent child mentality that often sets in, in in businesses, it drives learned helplessness in the team. 
you know, or or somebody who's promoted in in a team. You know, you, you were the software developer, and now you're the head of development, or you're the salesperson, you're now the sales manager. Because your success was built on doing the job, you keep on doing the job, and and what it does is your team end up being there's a learned helplessness. And so often when you and I meet CEOs of businesses, they're in that position and they're like, I've, it's, I've just worked out that uh, like it, I'm exhausted, right? Because I'm, I'm spending 14 hours a day, seven days a week, and I'm doing everybody's job. Like, how do I stop this? And it's like, well, one of the things that David says is you can just change the language in the business and you can get people to say, I intend to rather than can I. Just that can have a profound impact. So I love these, like, to me, that's one of those like little nuggets. Like it's one of those 80, 20 things. Like it's a really small thing, but it has an yeah, outsized impact. Yeah. And, and I love that in terms of that, you know, talk about learned helplessness because I worked in corporates for a number of years at the beginning of my career. And you see this where, you know, people, people don't step up and take responsibility. And that bit about I intend to, it's them taking responsibility of what they're going to do. And they'll have worked out where their workload is, as opposed to coming to you and saying, can I? Obvious. Well, I don't know if you can because I don't know how much work you've got. I don't know what you've got to be doing. But if you intend to, you're giving them responsibility to make their own decision. They still have to get their work done at the end of the day. They have a process to go through. They know what their objectives are. They know the key results. Therefore, they can make that judgment around doing stuff. So I love that as a process. And I think as CEO, you talked about their people doing. I always say, you know, Michael E. Gerber says this, you know, people are doing, doing, doing. And I think enabling them to step back take time and recognize that they can't be doing anymore. The doing they do is now strategy doing and execution is for the team to manage because the CEO can't be executing the business. They can just be strategizing and understanding things. And, you know, if you think about functional roles, understanding who does what, actually being really clear about this is the role I've got, this is what I do, and therefore these are the skills I need to get myself there. And too few people think about that up front, as you talk about your business 100 mil, Think about that longer down the line to say, okay, what is it I need? What do I need in the business right now? There's transitions. There's the CEO, there's like sole contributor and their helpers, you know, start a business, maybe getting over one and a half million through that black hole. And then you've got the next iteration where that CEO MD needs a leadership team. And those leaders are probably still doing. And then the next transition is you need sort of an extended management team and that executive team is on the business, not in the business, not just the CEO. And so we've got clients at each of those phases really of transition where CEO and leadership team or even CEO and leadership team. And the next challenge for them is to have a sort of an operational management layer where the execution is getting done because now, now strategy is a bigger thing and and the, the head of sales needs to have a sales strategy and, the head of people needs a people strategy. It's now too big for the CEO to do all the strategy work themselves. And I think this is the key thing is devolving that down through the business. We're coming towards the end of our of our time together here. And I, again, I'd love to have another conversation with you. And I think there's lots of lots of things we've talked about there, ranging from strategies, talking about training, talking about minimum viable products, and you know, talking about this this view of strategy first. If there was one thing you see in your client, what's the what's the biggest problem you see in your clients today? that they come to you with and say, Dom, help. What's the, what's the thing they say say the most to you? The biggest problem is not the one they ask for help on. Yeah, okay. So I would say the, the phrase sevens kill your business. Seven. So like, if you've got an employee and that employee could be rated between one and 10, no business owner has a problem getting rid of somebody 
who is nice or horrible, whose performance is a one, two, three, four, or a five, right? Like nobody, nobody has a challenge spotting them, yeah. but a seven, like some of the time they're okay. Some of the time they're great. Some of the time they're not. So many businesses don't have a plan. Somehow they think if they've got a few good people, a few great people, and the majority of them are just okay, and then a few that are a bit rubbish, that that's normal. And actually, A players, the top 10% of available talent for a given job in a given location, you can get your business over time to 90% A players. They're five to 10 times more productive than a B player. So an eight, nine, and 10 is five to 10 times more productive than a six or seven. They don't cost you any more money. But here's the other thing. They take no management time. Yeah, nice, nice. That's how you get your time back to run the business. Yeah, yeah. Surround yourself with better people. Yeah, love that, love that. And, and it's interesting, isn't it? The, the other bit that was going through my mind when you said that is, so, you know, you and I talk about net promoter score, and I had a conversation yesterday with someone about net promoter score and some of its failings. But one of the things is, you know, in net promoter score, we need people scoring you nine or ten. Seven skill your business. It's the same principle there because actually seven is, oh, yeah, we might refer you, I might not. Same as that thing, seven skill your business. So I love that as a, as a concept, yeah. seven skill your business. With, pe- with people or customers. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. So Don Monkhouse, it's been really, really useful to talk to you. Thank you very much. Um, lots of lots of fascinating tips there. If people wanted to find you, uh, I know the answers, but where, where would people go finding you? The website is monkhouseandcompany.com on their you can subscribe to a weekly newsletter and we'll tell you about blog episodes and, and podcast episodes that we publish uh, or, or on LinkedIn. I'm Dominic Monkhouse on LinkedIn. Lovely. Thank you very much. And I know you run workshops throughout the year as well. So if you want to find out more about scaling up and some of the other processes you work through, there's regular workshops. Um, normally one a quarter of those, so you can find those on the workshop on, on the workshop list on the website as well. Indeed. So thank you very much, Don Monkhouse. It's been a pleasure talking to you. I look forward to seeing you again soon. Phil, it's been an absolute pleasure. Speak to you soon. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. If you'd be kind enough to leave a review, it will really help other like-minded entrepreneurs find this podcast and grow our community. For all information relating to this episode, you can go to monkhouseandcompany.com forward slash podcast, where you'll find some cracking show notes, additional reading and links relating to our guest. There you can also find my blog and past episodes of my subjectively not crap newsletter, where I'll update you on the best articles I read that week, some recommended books and other podcasts. Thanks, and I will see you next week.